0: So the outline in front of you there should say, Jesus welcomes children, right? That's what you should say. Jesus welcomes children. Now, a recent study by uh, Harvard University uh, published in the American Journal of Epidemiology, right? I always struggle with that question. That, that, That word reveals that religion is good for our children. Uh, that's the academics, they're not believers. They say that religion is good for our children. Uh, the study looked at 5,000 adolescents, adolescents, I should say, and followed the map for over eight years. So it was a longitudinal study. And what they were trying to do was to understand the effect of religious upbringing. Okay? And it found that those who regularly attend religious services are 12% less likely to suffer from depression, 33% less likely to use illegal drugs, 18% more likely to report high levels of happiness compared to those who don't, right? So you are looking at young adults who have been brought up, of course, in a religious framework. So the overall conclusion, the researchers says that religion is good for our children. And of course, we know that, don't we? We know that already. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that there is something even better than religion, right? A relationship with Jesus. Jesus is offering our children not simply an escape from bad things or a good community feel. No, Jesus is offering them a relationship. A relationship with God. With the God who made them and loves them deeply. That's why ultimately belonging to Jesus Is a wonderful thing. That's why it's a good thing. Because we come into contact with God himself. So this morning, I want to ask two questions. The first question is to the adults here this morning, who are, of course, in the majority. How are you actively taking children God has placed around you to Jesus? How are you actively taking children God has placed around you to Jesus? So, immediately you should notice that my question is not just for parents. All adults, in some way, through the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we act, influence children around us. In this church, at work, your neighbors, you have an impact on them, and God has placed those children in your lives. And for the boy and the girl here, yeah, right with us this morning, I want to ask you to think about this question How are you helping your mom and dad? To take you to Jesus. How are you helping your mam especially to take who's with us today to take you to Jesus. And to help us answer these two questions, please turn with me to Mark 10 verse 13 to verse 16. Now you remember last Sunday evening that Jesus uh, is in Judea and he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the final leg of the journey. And last Sunday, we ended, uh, Mark 10, verse 12, Jesus entering a house with his disciples, right? And now it seems, after discussing with the Pharisees on issues concerning marriage, now it seems their quality time is about to be interrupted, right? Because the mums and tots uh, have arrived. They are knocking on the door. And this amazing encounter in Mark 10, verse 13 to 16, uh, between Jesus and these babies... And it teaches us four vital lessons I want us to share with you today. And those lessons are in front of you on your outline. We're just going to walk through this passage. The first lesson we learn from this passage is that all children need the touch of Jesus. All children need Jesus. Now, we do not know what time of the day it is or where in Judea they have come from. But Mark tells us that Jesus has a new group of fans, right? Babies. Let's look at verse 13 there. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Let's just pause there. Now, in our society... We are accustomed to seeing politicians, right, at election time, holding babies, and uh, there's a whole huge thing on the internet, you just look it up, politicians kissing babies, huge photos, studies done even, right? They are kissing babies, why are they doing that? They want to soften up their image, isn't it, for election time. And so somebody who's very, like, you know, not really nice in my own judgment, um, Nicholas Sturgeon. Huge photos online, you know, without just holding babies everywhere, right? It's amazing. They do that to soften their image. I can mention other politicians, of course. So that is the image we, we have, right? Politicians do this to soften their image. And so there's a danger here that we may be tempted to think that is what's happening in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. But Mark is clear that Jesus is not out there to look for the babies. No, the mothers are seeking out Jesus. For a touch, It's one way. It is them coming to Jesus. And notice invested in verse 13, the key word I just want you to notice there is bringing. It says there, and they were bringing children to him. It's a continuous tense, isn't it? The original word, therefore, bringing literally means kept on bringing. This is a continuous flow of babies towards Jesus. And we know it's mostly babies because even though Mark uses a generic word for children here, which can be anyone between the age of zero, less than one, you can't be the age of zero, less than one, right? To 12, Luke 18 verse 5 is clear, most of them are infants. And we might even think they are all infants really. Uh, that's what in Luke 18 verse 4 that's the word Luke uses when he describes this scene. So, we can imagine the sin in front of us, isn't it? Jesus is probably sitting outside the house and in front of him are mothers and they have all these crying babies and they are pushing in the line as I, I sometimes see mothers being very busy outside the, uh, outside the school, uh, school gates. It's that sort of sin. They're trying to get in, right? And they all want Jesus to touch the children, these babies. Now, when Abigail was born, right, I remember how unusual and sacred it felt to hold new life in my hands. When my wife passed Abigail on to me, at that moment, the Downs valley, the only thought in my head was, Chola, now is not the time to do something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drop the baby, just hold carefully, right? And of course, my wife didn't help, right? Uh, she kept saying, be careful. Hold her this way, hold her that way, right? Which just multiplied my nervousness uh, around my daughter, right? I was so nervous of holding her. And of course, it made sense, didn't it? Because all parents are very careful about who they allow their children, who they allow to get close to their children. And rightly so, because we live around a society, an evil society, isn't it? Where children are victimized in so many ways. But these moms, notice here, they not only want Jesus to order their children, they have come in numbers. They kept on bringing children to Jesus. Right? They have come in numbers. Right? Why have they come in numbers? Because there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. That's why they have come in numbers. They have seen that Jesus heals the sick, He raises the dead. And they have heard he walks on water. There is no limit to the power of Jesus, and like every good man, they want to tap into this power. They want this power of Jesus for their babies. I mean, parents, you know that, right? It's good to have to desire the best things for our children. So they have come. They recognize Jesus is all so powerful, and they want Jesus to touch these babies. These parents as I thought about this, they are teaching us an important truth that is in front of your outline. And it's our first point. They are teaching us that all oh, children need Jesus. What your son needs most is not a better education. It is knowing Jesus. Your daughter's greatest need is not excelling in her favorite sport. Her greatest need is to have a personal and growing relationship with Jesus. And this truth that our children need Jesus most is alien in our society. The government is doing everything to keep Jesus outside out of the education system. But thank God that some of you here are seeking to obey God in this area. You know children need Jesus and you are taking Jesus to them. You know, to have parents, grandparents, teachers, and others in the life of the church who bring Jesus to us in our infancy is a wonderful provision of grace that we, a child, can never repair. You know, I think of a lady who helped me greatly when I was in my teens. We had just moved into to live in this country, and I went to a boarding school in uh, Bayard College in, in Workingham, where I was attending. Highly secular country than what I've known in Zambia. And there was a lady there who was working in the sanatorium. And of course I remember her name. Her name was, we just knew her as Nurse Richardson. She was a Christian. And what I remember most when I told her that I was a young Christian, at that time just beginning to do one final year of my GCSE, because I only did one year of GCSE. I remember telling her that, that I'm a Christian. She just told me, she just, next day she would bring music tapes at that time, worship songs. Kings were, you know, used to be do a lot of worship. She would uh, give me a Bible to read. She is the one who introduced me to the genre of Christian fiction. Frank Peretti's novels. I didn't know about them. She would just bring tons and tons. And once she even invited me to where they used to live. I never went. But I, I can never think of anyone who has invested in me so much than that lady, Ness Richardson as a young person at college. I always remember, and I I don't know if she's still alive, but our impact, our influence, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for her encouragement. And there are moments when I do think about her, and I do pray for her, and I pray, Lord, if Nurse Richardson is still alive, sustain her, help her. We need people like that, isn't it? Who just take an interest in us. I wasn't related to her, she was just a nurse, but she loved Jesus. But, you know, she did... For me, what she wished she could do for many. And that's what I remember most from her. Uh, she didn't just give me one book. I mean, she went all out. It cost, I'm sure, financially. It's great to have people who take us to Jesus. And you, can, you never know when you do that, the impact you can have. And, you know, I just want to say, if you're, for, 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 for the boy and girl here with us this morning, your mom, by just bringing you here, she's pointing you to Jesus. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for that investment that she's doing in your life. Sadly, sometimes those of us who should be leading children to Jesus stand in their way. And that is a sad truth. With the second truth we learn here. it's a sad truth. The first truth is that all oh, children need Jesus. But there is a bad, and it is sad, isn't it? Because sometimes we stand in their way. That's the second truth. Sometimes we stand in their way. The mothers have come with high hopes to have Jesus bless their little bambinos, right? But to their shock, they eat a bureaucratic brick wall. Look at this, read on verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. I don't know how you imagine this scene, what's going on here, but I'm imagining Simon the Zealot is in charge of this one, right? (laughs) I'm just picking on him, I guess, given his background. But I'm imagining him is in charge of this one. You know, Jesus is there, all these mothers are trooping in and out, and Simon the Zealot is there. He said, look, back up, folks, back up, back up, right? This is not for kids here, this is not children time, right? Sorry, go home. We are on the way to Jerusalem. And we're going there to reign. We don't have time for this. Please. Jesus needs time. He has better things to do. Right? He's not seeing anyone today. I'm just imagining it Because the Bible doesn't really tell us why they're behaving like this. Or which disciple is leading. By implication, all of them are involved. The question we have to ask is, why are they behaving like this? Well, as I say, Mark doesn't tell us. My guess is they are put on a uniform and power has gone to their heads, Right? And you remember not long ago, what did they do? They stopped the man who was exercising demons. They said, no, you're not with us. Stop, you know, stop doing this. You know, James and John, right? And they have been arguing about who's the greatest. So their mind is about power. It's about, you know, ruling in the new kingdom, as it were. That's probably what's motivating them here. It says, we have a kingdom that has no time for children. Well, whatever their motive, the behavior of the apostles is teaching us an important truth. It's a sad truth. Sometimes followers of Jesus prevent children coming to Jesus. So all of us here this morning have to ask ourselves a question, whether we're parents or not. Are we guilty of doing this terrible thing that the disciples are doing? Are you stopping children around you coming to Jesus? I think, you know, we can start in the church, but I think we have to start in our home. Think about your home. Are you in the home sowing fruits that will lead your children to want more of Jesus? Or are you fostering a spirit of envy and worldly ambition in them? You know, it certainly mean that many parents who claim to be followers of Jesus are more careful about educating their children for this world rather than the world to come. Now, it is right that we give our children the best education, don't get me wrong. It's, like, it's right that we invest money and tuition into our kids, right? It's right we do that. It is important to start off well in life. But you need to ask yourself as a parent here what do your children make of their lives? If they see that you as a man and dad value school and sporting achievement more than life with Jesus. If they see that all the money you are investing in, you spend more on tuition and time on those things than you do on life with them, praying with them. What, what do you think they're going to conclude from that? I think that you are inevitably leading them to a sad conclusion that life with Jesus is not important. You are telling them that they don't really need Jesus after all. What matters more is education, sporting achievement and those so forth. And I just want to tell you, you know, I think the church has a responsibility to teach your children. I think the sermons here must be accessible, must be clear. I think we need to pray for more godly Sunday school teachers to be raised in the life of the church. We need to do all of that, right? To help your children. But I just want to tell you this, it does not matter what this church does, if your priority as a parent is about this world, that is what they will follow. Every adult is a supermodel to their children, to the children around them. Children learn by what they see. It doesn't matter what comes from here or what you even said, what are you actually modeling? And if you're not taking tech- Modeling Jesus to them, in the end, you are hindering your precious children from coming to Jesus. I just want to tell you, here is why that is a terrible thing. And this is our third point here. The first point is that all oh, children need Jesus. But here's the sad news, but sometimes we stand in there where we're the adults. Why is that a big deal? Well, that brings us to the third point. It is a big deal because Jesus opposes all who oppose children. Jesus opposes all who oppose children. So let's resume my journey with the disciples here. Um, In this story, the children, the disciples are bad the children. How does Jesus react? How does Jesus react? Well, look at verse 14. He's very angry. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That means he was venting out anger. That's how he reacts. No, no, I don't know about you. I, I don't know what gets you angry. <laughs> what, you get, what, what mostly gets you angry? Like maybe driving and somebody cuts you off and you're very angry or you see some character on television you don't like. You, you, you get very angry. Um, perhaps your spouse says something that's not right and you get very, very angry about that. We can tell a lot about a person, but what gets them angry? Beloved, this is what gets Jesus angry. He gets angry when he sees the helpless, the powerless, the children are getting, are being kept from him. This is the second time Jesus gets angry in Mark. Quiz question for you, when was the first time he got angry? I'll leave that to you. But in both situations, it is the powerless that are being kept from Jesus. That's why, that's what gets him angry. And notice what Mark says here in verse 14. What Mark says, what Jesus says. Verse 14 says, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. What does it mean that to such belongs the kingdom of God? Well, we should know that the word there in the original language to such belong the king, to such as this uh, is not used in the original language actually to compare things. It is used to identify something. So, for example, the same word uh, is used in Hebrews 7 verse 26. You can turn there if you like, but Hebrews 7 verse 26 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstand, separated from sinners, and exalted above the, high, the heavens. When the author when of Hebrews Hebrew says we should have such a high priest, he's not saying Jesus, any priest would do, so to speak. He's not saying that Jesus is like any other priest. No, he says only Jesus fits the bill. Such as this says, only like Jesus, only as Jesus. So, in the same way, I'll go back to Mark 10, verse 14. When Jesus says there, Such belongs to the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God... The kingdom of God belongs to these children. Not like someone like these children, right? He says, these children belong to me. Okay? Verse 15, don't confuse verse 15 with verse 14. Verse 15 says you must become like a child. But that's not what he's saying in verse 14. In verse 14 he's saying... These children in front of me, they, are, they belong to the children, to the kingdom of God. They, these children, belong to me. These ones I'm holding in my arms. Now, of course, no one has authority to declare that over every child. But Jesus can. Jesus is God. He could walk in this room and simply say, Yeah, Brother Ola, you belong to me. And that is what we pray God has already done over us. And Jesus here declares to us that he desires his children. They now belong to the kingdom of God. he can do that because he is God. Yes, these children are born sinners. Yes, they have not professed faith in Jesus for themselves. But Jesus' election of them is prior to their trusting in him. That's the fact here, isn't it? And... He, as God is saying, I have sovereignly and graciously purposed that these children in front of me are mine now. Do not stop them coming to me, he says. And of course, since no human being knows which children Jesus has declared that over, right? We don't know which children Jesus has sovereignly, graciously chosen to come to him. Therefore, no human being must prevent any child going to Jesus. Jesus opposes any person who does that because those who prevent children are standing with Satan who is bent on destroying children. You can read Mark for yourself. you see that in Mark there's a contest over children. Satan is doing everything he can to keep children away. He's demonizing them. Jesus is doing everything he can to draw the children to himself. So if you are hindering children coming to Jesus, you are standing with Satan. And here is why that is a big deal. It is a big deal because you see here, the anger of Jesus that he's showing at the disciples publicly is a foretaste of God's anger on judgment and judgment on all who oppose children coming to him. And as I thought about this, I thought to myself, the anger of Jesus here is very difficult because it's being expressed to followers of Jesus. It always makes me feel uncomfortable when Jesus is angry at those who follow him, because I'm, I follow him. But I'm comforted by this anger of Jesus actually on the disciples, because it is comforting me as I look around the world, as I look around our society, as we see the moral tragedy unfolding before our, our, our eyes in the world today. You know, many children are growing, being exposed to an avalanche of evil, they are growing emotionally deprived spiritually ignorant and morally depraved the government is doing all its can to pump its evil policies polluting our children every day especially in our education system they are forcing them to learn things god utterly forbade and they are using the machinery of the nhs to pump an ideology of evil into our kids When I look around uh, the breakdown of marriage, the absence of godly fathers actually, which is partly responsible for the knife crimes that we are seeing, we are seeing that our children all around us, young and old older kids, are suffering really from, they are now swimming from a relentless pool of evil that is engulfing them. Many of our children in our society have zero godly parental care. And the result, of course, is that they spend every day binging on violent video games and internet pornography. Beloved, God's purpose is that our early childhood should be full of happy memories. That's why God has designed it. But many children in our society never know love. They never know a loving mother. They never know how to live in a secure home. We should be thankful that Jesus is displaying such anger at those who prevent children. Because the anger here is a warning to all of us. It's a warning to our society especially. Those who stop children going to Jesus will meet his full anger. So the question is, how should we respond to that? And that is our final question point, isn't it? The first point is all children need Jesus. But sometimes, that's the second point, we stand in their way. That's a big deal because of the third point. Jesus opposes all who oppose children. So how should we then, all of us parents, non-parents, how should we respond to this? Well, we must welcome the children to Jesus. We must bring the children to Jesus at every opportunity. The attitude Jesus wants us to have towards children is to let the children come to him. And we see this as we jump to verse 16. Look at verse 16. And he took them, these children, in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I just want you to quickly notice three gestures of Jesus. First, the Lord Jesus takes each baby in his arms. He is saying to the baby, you are safe with me forever, no matter what life brings. Secondly, he lays his hands on them, doesn't he? Our Lord is saying to the baby, he's laying hands on, there is no distance between us. You belong to me. I belong to you. Then Jesus blesses the baby. God the Son is saying to that baby, his blessing in his arms. my grace is enough for your current and future needs. Proverbs tells us that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and God holding these babies in his arms is blessing them for the future this is what Jesus wants to do for your kids the children this is what Jesus wants to do for every child that comes through the walls of this church in fact every person we might even say and he wants you to be part of welcoming the children to him so how do we do this Well, first of all, in our church tradition, this starts with thanksgiving, or baby dedication, as it's called. When the child is born, we give thanks for the child publicly, right? Why do we do this publicly? Well, we do it to acknowledge before the church that we do not intend to bring up this child on our own, but with the help of Christ and his church. And of course, we're doing that publicly because the memories of the child beginning their journey among God's covenant community in this way are all part and parcel of Christ drawing them to himself. They'll remember they were given thanks for to God publicly and that will warm their hearts their affections to Jesus. That's why as Baptists we do that and we do this with confidence knowing that Jesus himself is modeling it for us here. Here we do not baptize infants, but we welcome them into our homes publicly and in the community of God to Jesus. So we, we start with that. And then, of course, that welcome must continue, isn't it? Because as they grow in our homes and in the life of the church, we must work to consistently and actively lead our children to Christ. And, of course, that means doing what I call building a Christ-intoxicated home. A home where prayer, your Bible is saturated. A home which is prayer saturated. A home where the good news of Jesus is at the heart of everything you do. We are doing that because we want our child to see Jesus, not just on Sundays or when they are here, they want to see Jesus in the natural and normal urban flow of life. You see, beloved, our children need to grow up in a home that is saturated with prayer. They need to grow up in a home where they regularly hear that everyone is a sinner, saved only by trusting the blood of Jesus, shed on the cross for our sins. So pray towards that. If you're a husband, work with your wife towards building such a home. Now, if you're not a parent, there is still much for you to do. There's no get out of jail card on this one, it's a wonderful obligation. There is Sunday school, right, with a gap now. <laughs> right. You can offer to serve in Sunday school. Or if you can, if that's not for you, just invite a teenager in your home to spend time. Be a nurse Richardson to someone here. And of course, there's a lot more, isn't there? Because apart from what you do in the life of this church... You can simply take an interest in a charity like International Justice Mission that is fighting global sexual exploitation. Many children are being exploited around the world. You can help bring those children financially, giving to them, and I hope to have IGM come and speak to us at some point here. You know, you can do that. You can contribute to those things. You can help bring children to Jesus in that way. But remember you can only take to children children you can only take people where you've been right you can only take children to Jesus if you yourself have been to Jesus and that is what Jesus is getting at in verse 15 let's read that briefly truly i said to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it you need to read that again whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is saying to bring children to him, we must be like children ourselves. What are children like? Well, they are powerless and they often, often, not always, they often know it. Sometimes they think they are supermen and superwomen, but often they know they are powerless because they will come to us. Please help me with this. They've tried it. doesn't work. Right? Children live by faith and total dependence on someone else, their parents. And Jesus is saying this is what faith is in him looks like. It means surrendering our lives to Jesus completely. Giving Jesus a hug, a spiritual hug. Coming to him, surrendering whole to him like the children are doing. And we can know that if we do that, if we come to Jesus and surrender to him like that, he will not push us away like the disciples are doing. Jesus will welcome us as he does in verse 16. And he took them in his hands and bless them laying his hands on them that's an amazing picture of grace isn't it jesus here is tender compassionate he is compassionate to anyone who comes to him bringing nothing but their sin who surrenders to him i just want to ask you this morning have you surrendered your life to jesus like these children are you confident that Jesus has welcomed you into his arms? Not because you're a good person, but because you have asked him to save you from sin based on his death on the cross for you. You know, I say this especially to the boy and girl here with us today. Jesus wants you now. He's longing to hold you into his Even as young as you are, you can reach out to him. You can cry out to him. You can ask him, to hold you close to himself. And he's saying to all of us, isn't it? He's saying to you and I, all of us, you adults, come to me. I love you. I want to hold you. I want to touch and bless you. I want to be in your life. And I want your life to be mine. He's stretching out his arms to us. He's waiting for us, isn't it? And you know, if you're trusting in Jesus, that's a wonderful reminder no matter what is going on in your life at the moment, you know, as adults who trust Jesus, we need to be reminded we are the children here in Christ. He, is, he has embraced us, He holds us close. We are always in His arms, whether in life or in death. If we trust in Christ, no matter what is going on in our lives, we know He's got us tight, He's holding us close to us. And if you have children in your life, as I've said, Jesus is saying to you this morning, don't keep this from them. Let them come to me. I want to hug them. I want to be with them. I want them to grow up to love me. And he's saying to us as a church, let everything you do in the church be about bringing children to me. Because I want to hold them touch and bless them. May the Lord help us to do this things.